All right, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. I'm going to read to you again the section. We're going to, we were in it last time we were together. We're going to be in it again for the next couple of weeks. And like I said to some of you before we started recording, we probably might not get much past verse 12 tonight. But uh, this is where we're at. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he, meaning God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." Now, we saw last time that God designed and, and gifted the church with at least four different types of men for the purpose of equipping the church body to build each other up as the church body uses their gifts in ministering to each other. Now, last time we were together, the focus was on the four different types of pastors. This week's study, though, we'll begin to look more closely at the church's ministry and their gifts. So that's what we're going to be doing tonight. But before we go jumping into your ministry and your gifts, I really felt like God wanted us to take some time to really take a look at some of the the whys and the what's and the how's of all this so that it would make a whole lot more sense. We have a tendency to think we understand something and then hear the scriptures through our preconceived notion. Or maybe some of us have been taught over the years, incorrect, been taught incorrectly about spiritual gifts, or we've had mis, well, let's just call them preconceived notions, all right? And when you hear people talk about spiritual gifts, your brain automatically kicks into that mode I want to be used to God tonight to kind of blow that mode up so that you hear a fresh and a new. When we talk about spiritual gifts, let's be honest. For a lot of people, you almost check out. You want to hear it. You know the scripture talks about how he gave spiritual gifts after he saves us. He gives us his spirit. And along with that, we can't argue with the doctrine that the fact that the Bible teaches that we have spiritual gifts. But for most Christians today... They don't know anything more than that. And the whole idea of spiritual gifts is, let's just call it spiritual. Nebulous. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take some time to really take a close look at this. So that as we deal with and move into the spiritual gifts, your brain doesn't kick into that mode where we lose you. Actually, you're going to hopefully see by the end of tonight that God's design for ministry that he wants to do through you can become really, really exciting because it moves out of the ethereal realm, that nebulous realm of the spiritual gifts, and into practical, rubber hits the road, hey, I can do that. And you're gonna find that that's your spiritual gift. All right, so in order to do that, what I wanna do is take a look close at verse 12. It says, God gave us these four different types of pastors, look closely at the first part of verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now we're just gonna just deal with that aspect here. Um, we touched on this last week, but we need to make sure that we weren't so focused on the fact that all pastors, you know, never supposed to be the same, that we miss the fact that these men are to equip who to do the work of the ministry? The body, the saints. We want to really get this important because as much as you know what I taught last time was right, and you, a lot of you came up afterwards and said, this has made so much more sense. Now I understand why pastor so-and-so was the way he was and boom, boom, boom. But let's be honest. You still kind of, if you've been raised in it, 
it's still kind of ingrained in you that the work of the ministry is still supposed to be done by these guys. And we got to really let this sink in. God's Word has all along taught this. We in the church, unfortunately, and you can trace it back into all sorts of stuff. You can go back when uh, Roman Catholicism was the main religion, you know, or the main way Christianity was practiced and how there was a separation between the lady and the clergy. By the way, little trivia tidbit. Do you know that that's where the term hocus pocus comes from? Some of you may know this, some of you may not. You remember how in Magicians, I remember watching Sesame Street with my kids, and, and you had the Mumford, the magician, you know, and, and, and he would always go, hocus pocus, presto, change peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You remember how he used to say that? <laughs> but actually, the whole idea of hocus pocus, waving their hands over something and it changes, goes all the way back to when the Roman Catholic services were only in Latin. And the people in the pew sat there, and they didn't know what was going on. It was just all done by the priests, and they just knew that it was spiritual. And they didn't have a clue, but they knew at that moment when the priest would wave his hands over the elements, some kind of a change was supposed to occur. Remember, they believed that it actually becomes the body and the blood of Jesus. And in the Latin, the words, if you go and look them up, they actually sound a little bit like hocus pocus. And so all the people just kind of understood. They waved his hand, said hocus pocus, and it changed. That's where it actually comes from. Back when the people in the pew had no clue what was going on, what was being done by the clergy. And that mindset, even though through the Reformation there was a break a little bit, there wasn't a full break. And there has been this mindset all along that the ones who do the work of the ministry are the pastors. Let this sink in. Let it start with you. Let it start with you going back in your mind to Psalm 23 that says, The Lord is my shepherd. We've got to break this mindset of, I need my pastor. We need to know how to go to Jesus because what does this passage, whole passage say? Our job is to equip you to know how to connect with Jesus, to grow up into him who is the head. And we're going to get into in time the fact that you will no longer be then tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness and false doctrines and all this stuff. Because if we're doing our job to really teach and to preach and to show you what the word says and then say, go do it and not let you make us do it. You're going to grow up into what you're supposed to be and you're going to become the person that God wants you to be. And you're going to experience. I had this conversation with a man this afternoon. And I told him this as I've traveled all around the country in different parts of the world. The Christians that I found are the happiest, the most joyful are the ones who just know what it is that God's called them to do and who they're to be. And they're just doing it, what he's told them to do. And those are the ones they're just giddy. They don't even care what's going on in church because they're walking with Jesus. and They're doing what it is he's called them to do. So. God has designed the church to do the work of the ministry. Our job is to equip you. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I want to show you some passages to kind of lay this out for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll get to verses 12 through 28. Paul says, and we ask you who? What's that word there? brothers. Now, let me just show you in this section right here and in all the, uh, the rest of this section, I'm going to look in verses 12 through 28. Every time that it says brothers, it could be translated brothers and sisters. In other words, this word actually means all y'all. It really does. All y'all. That's how Paul meant it because he was from southern Tarsus. All right. So when I read brothers, it could be translated brothers and sisters. It means the body. We ask you, brothers, 
to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Again, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. There are those in the church who have been given authority over us. We may not like it because in our day today, we just don't like authority. And the whole idea of authority, we don't like. And the interesting thing is, is I've traveled around and as I teach them what the Bible says and how there's roles for men and roles for women, you know, the women don't like that either, you know. But that's God's design. But it's interesting to me. Some of the men who say, yeah, well, the Bible says that I have a responsibility and she has a responsibility and I have to do my role and she has to do who, her role are the same men who fight against the whole idea of eldership in the church. <coughs> Guess what? God's designed some to be in authority over you. And you don't like it. It's not, it's, you just can't pick and choose what parts of the scripture you're going to hold to and then ignore the others. All right? Brothers... Brothers and sisters, respect those who are, labor, who are labor among you and are over you in the Lord and who admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work, because of the position God's given them. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, look closely now, who? Brothers and sisters, all y'all. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Who's Paul writing to? The same people that he said, respect those who are over you. So he's talking to the body. And then he says to the body, oh, by the way, I'm going to ask you to do what you think is the pastor's job. Admonish the idle. Encourage the fainthearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Again, you're going to see throughout this whole passage, he's talking to the body of believers there. And he says, y'all supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. Keep reading. See to it that no one pays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good. One, to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Brothers, again, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read, letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So what I did is I wrote down in my notes, I broke this passage down and I, I, I found six things that he was saying to the body. First one is this, respect those who work among you and are over you in the Lord. Then he also says, admonish, encourage and help. Be patient with everyone. Also, he said to the body, see to it that no one pays back evil for evil. And then he says to the body, test and examine every message you hear from the prophets. He said, test it. Make sure that what you're hearing is true. Then he goes and says, pray for us leaders. And then he says, make sure God's word is read and shared. Now, let's just be straight up honest. If I hadn't have taught you that that word means brothers and sisters, and I had just simply said to you, um, whose job is it to admonish, encourage, Help everyone, be patient, see no one pays back evil for evil, test and examine, pray for it, who make sure God's word is read. Most of us would, our brains immediately go to, that's the minister's jobs. It is, isn't it? Now I'm just going to be honest with you. What we're looking at here and what we're going to be breaking down, and that's why I really feel like God says, hey, it's not really getting bogged down, but we really need to stay in this section for a while, is because what we're dealing with here is years and years and years of wrong thinking and it's really crippled the church. We've professionalized the ministry. 
Years ago, though, God began to teach me this. Some of you that are in this room might even remember parts of this story. But years ago, when I was pastor at uh, First Baptist in the Atlantic, there was a time where God was really starting to teach me about the fact that I had been raised myself that I was to do all the work of the ministry. And I remember going to meet with Jim Henry. And Jim Henry said to me when I sat with him, I said, Jim, I've created a monster. I was raised by a pastor who taught me that I had to be at everybody's house and everybody's surgery and all the meetings. I've created a monster. Now I'm starting to realize the scripture says I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be equipping them to do it. And Jim so lovingly laughed and he said, oh, Jim, you didn't create that monster. He said, that monster's been there for a while. He said, you fed it well. <laughs> and then he made this statement. He said, if you go back and stop feeding the monster cold turkey, it will eat you. If you go back and say to the church, I'm not doing that anymore, it's not my job, the church will eat you alive. He said, but you need to go back and you need to put the monster on a diet and you need to teach the monster why you're putting him on a diet. And I began that process. And those of you, remember, there was almost a two-year period where you kept hearing me say, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And God began to do this. Well, during this time, a family in the church gave my family passes to Disney World. It was right around Christmas time. They walked up after, after a service and they said, look, we really want you to spend more time with your family. And so to make sure that you do, we have bought you for the whole next year passes to Walt Disney World. Now, let me just tell you, they bought the good ones. <laughs> it wasn't the seasonal. These were the annual passes. Free parking, 10% off anything in the park. We were so excited. We didn't tell the kids because it was right around Christmas time. We waited and Christmas morning when they opened their presents, we explained to each of the kids, look what we've been given. That means we can go to Disney whenever we want. And so we make them each a promise. On your birthday, on your birthday, it doesn't matter if there's school or anything, you don't have to go to school. On your birthday, you get to be king or queen for the day. And you get to pick what parks we go to, and we're gonna follow you all around. You get to choose where we eat, what we ride next. On your, we'll go all the time during the year, but on your birthday, it's your special day. Well, at the time, our kids were like, Nicole was eight, Elise might've been about six, and AJ was four. Nicole's birthday's in January, January 12th. And so it's Christmas. Not long after that, she gets to be queen for the day. And she, I still remember she picked Epcot and Magic Kingdom because they were park hopper tickets. We followed her around. Elisa's birthday is in April. And she was queen for the day. Actually picked the same two parks. But AJ's birthday isn't until November. Actually, it's going to be a week from tonight. He'll be November 5th. He turns 15 now. How about that? But back then, he was four. And he's get this promise that he gets to be king for the day on his birthday, but he's going to wait a year. Now, at the time, he didn't even know how to write really much, but he got so excited about that day, he started dreaming of that day. And he would come out of his bedroom and he'd say, Mom, you remember that list I had you make? I changed my mind. We're going to ride this first and then we're going to ride that. And he was so excited about that day. I mean, he's the youngest in the family. And on this day, he gets to tell everybody where to go. You know, he's looking forward to this. Well, around the time of AJ's birthday, a few months before that, there was a man in the church named Gary who just has the heart of an evangelist. And he led this young man to the Lord named Tim. Tim came from the drug crowd. Actually, he led Tim to the Lord on his couch. Tim was from the drug crowds. He had the dreadlocks. He came from the street. And Tim got saved. When we baptized Tim, it was the first bath he'd had in a long time. What was so cool, though, was how this white-collar church at First Baptist in the Atlantic reached out to him, and they loved Tim. 
Two months after Tim got saved, though, he died. He was in his 20s. He died of a seizure just like that, and he was gone. It shocked us. And his funeral ended up on AJ's birthday. And I started to wrestle because, you know, I've been in the ministry. My dad was a pastor. I, I know. Yeah, I mean, it's expected. That's my job. I need to preach the funeral. And God was saying, Jim, you have all your life said it's God first, family second, church third. It's time your kids re can't realize they came before the church. And he says, I don't want you to do the funeral. I want someone else to do the funeral. And I want you to go to Disney because you've promised him all year. That's on his day. I was like, Lord, we got the kind of passes we can go any other day. Why don't we just tell them we'll go the next day? And God said, no. Well, then my brain starts thinking about which of the other pastors is going to preach Tim's funeral. And God again spoke to my heart and he said, no, I've been teaching you that you're to be equipping the body to do the work of the ministry. I want Gary to preach his funeral. So I called Gary up. I said, hey, Gary, here's what's going on. I said, God's telling me I think you're supposed to do this. And I loved his answer. He said, you've been teaching us to pray about everything. Can I please pray about this? <laughs> and I said, yeah. He calls me back the next day. He said, I feel like I'm supposed to do it. He said, can I do it however I think God's telling me? I said, sure. He said, um, I don't want to call it a funeral because I want to reach the kids from Tim's drug crowd. And so he said, we're just going to call a memorial service to honor Tim. And he, he, those of you probably might remember this, or maybe you remember when you used to be younger in the band, you know, the kids would have a local club band playing and they'd make their own posters on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and they'd hang them up all over saying Friday night, such, such a place, this band's playing. Well, he made a poster with Tim's picture, dreadlocks and all, and it just said memorial service to honor Tim at First Baptist on such and such a day. And he hung them up all over the streets of Melbourne. I thought, man, that's a cool idea. Then he said, he said, do we still have Tim's baptism video? And I thought, oh, that's a good idea too. I never thought of that. See, back then, whenever someone got saved and we baptized them, we had them make a testimony. Some of you in here might have had to do it as well. We brought you into the taping studio and you recorded, hi, my name's Tim or whatever your name was. And here's how I came to know Jesus as my Savior. And the person would share their personal testimony. And on that Sunday that they got baptized, the screen would come down. And before we'd baptize them, there they were, larger than life. And they'd tell their story. And they got to preach. And then the screen went up and we'd baptize them. Gary says, do we still have Tim's baptism video? I want him to preach at his own funeral. I thought, that's a great idea. So then I get up in front of the church and I explain the whole story and how I wasn't going to be at the funeral, but I was going to be taking the family to Disney that day instead. <laughs> what happened next totally surprised me. Over 500 people gave me a standing ovation. The church erupted with what I didn't expect. And a lady came up to afterwards and she said, Jim, she said, you've done a lot of good stuff for us, but what you did today by choosing your family over us was one of the best things you've ever done for us. We went off to Disney. Gary preached his funeral. Now, I can be honest with you, I'm on the phone saying, how'd it go? I'm calling from Disney, how'd it go? And Gary said, it went awesome. Seven kids gave their life to the Lord. I got mad. <laughs> I never had people that many people say when I preached a funeral, and God began to show me something. 
You see, folks, when we stand up here with our seminary degree and our reverend on our name, and we stand up here and tell you about Jesus, there's a mindset that says that's your job. You're supposed to say that. You're getting paid to say that. But when Gary gets up there, he ain't a preacher. He just was equipped to share the gospel. By the way, back at the time, Gary worked for the IRS. But we have professionalized the ministry, folks. I'm telling you, I know what you're hearing, and you're hearing it. It's truth. Let it begin to change with you. Let God make it work its way out into our churches from there. Let it begin with you. The Lord has something for me to do, and I don't expect the pastor to do it. Now, we're going to get into tonight some more of those things that will help you. All right? Now, go back to verse 12. By the way, the funeral director that I knew real well that did that funeral that Gary preached at told me afterwards that in all his years, that's the first time he ever heard the gospel. Oh, he'd been to all these funerals for his whole life. He goes, but that's the first time I heard it. You know why? Because he was listening. Because it wasn't a professional minister speaking. He was sitting there in the back going, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Because he knew that he wasn't one of the pastors. Oh, this guy, no. He still works. I don't know what his job is now. But he lives in the area and he's just got a heart of an evangelist and he just loves telling people about Jesus. Look back at verse 12. Look at the second half. Not only did he give us these men to equip the saints for the work of ministry, but also for the building up of the body of Christ. Go look at verses 15 and 16 here in chapter 4 as well. It's so clear. It says in verse 15, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it what? Builds itself up in love. When working properly. And that's part of the leadership's responsibility as parents to kind of help and guide and walk through that whole process. And yeah, you know what? It sometimes gets messy. But that's part of every family, is not not right? Are there not times that things get messy and God will walk you through how to deal with it and you go from there? What we've done over the years, though, is to kind of keep ourselves from having things make mess or be messy. We make our policies, so hopefully we won't have any problems. If anybody would just follow the manual, we'll be good. But look closely at what it's saying. The building up of the body won't happen until what? The preachers start doing a better job? Preachers start preaching harder and working harder and visiting more? No, the body won't get built up until the saints do the work of the ministry. We've got to stop sitting back and saying, well, our church is a mess and we need a new preacher. Hey, folks, if the body's not functioning properly, the scriptures say it's because part of the reason, I mean, sometimes it's the preachers aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing as well. But part of the reason could be that the body's been sitting back expecting some people to do the job that God intended them to do. Now, again, I want to move into this realm, though, now of some of you would say, "Okay, Jim, I'm with you. I don't have anything to offer the church. I don't have anything to offer the church. Well, (laughs) we're going to actually explain some of that. Go with me now real quick to Ephesians chapter two. 
Jump back. You're in chapter 4. Look at verse t- chapter 2 and let me remind you of verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. It says, For we are His, meaning God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Is that talking about the preachers or everybody? Everybody. Okay, so look at that again. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And you're going to see how this all of a sudden is just going to just explode. It's all, so so many different things you've heard, so many different stories from the scriptures are tonight going to just go, and they're going to all tie together in a way you probably have never seen. That's why I've been giddy about sharing this with you. All right, go to 1 Corinthians 12, though. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And look at verses 12 through 26. Again, I want to blow up this mindset of you're saying, well, I don't have anything to offer. God's already prepared in advance what he wants to do through you in the body and how he wants to use you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. For just as one, uh, the body is one and has many members, and I'm just going to change this word member to parts. That'll help you understand it. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want I don't want to get me going on membership. All right. <laughs> And this is the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the parts in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have any need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor, to the part that lacked it, that there may not be division in the body, but that the parts or the members may have the same care for one another. If one part suffers, all suffer together. If one part is honored, all rejoice together. Look at what Paul's saying here. He said, there's going to be this mindset that says, well, I'm not this part or I'm not that part. I'm not that important. That's not true in the body. And God's designed it this way on purpose. And then he says, some of these parts that we don't even hardly notice are the most important. Has anybody ever lost a fingernail? You're almost helpless, aren't you? It's like a, it's a simple little thing, but you can't pick little things up. You can't, everything you touch. I have a friend of mine back when I was in high school, he was mowing the grass barefoot. Don't do it. And uh, um, actually accidentally cut off both of his big toes. He was a young kid. He had to learn to walk again. He couldn't walk. You don't have a big toe, you fall over. And so before we get into this, I want to get this in your head. Don't fall to the enemy's lie of, well, I don't have the gifts Jim has. You don't. I don't have the gifts you do. And there are things you can do in the body that I can't. And I'm not supposed to. But you've been to seminary. You've been trained in how to do these things. That's one of the saddest things I've seen over the years is that when someone's lacking in a certain area, we just think we'll just send them to a class. And they'll get better at it. 
our preacher might not be the best preacher. He's a good shepherd, but he's not a real good preacher. So let's send him to our preaching class so you can get better at preaching. Or you just need to go to a chaplain's course, Jim, and you'll get a better heart for those who are suffering and all this kind of stuff. Folks, either you got it or you don't. Either you got it or you don't. But every one of you has a part that you're going to play in the body somehow, some way. And don't fall into thinking, well, if I'm not this, I'm not that important. God put all the parts together for a reason. And just like in our physical bodies, they're all necessary in the same way. We're limping right now in a lot of ways because of the fact that we have professionalized the ministry. So, like I said at the beginning, though, we have made this truth of spiritual gifts too spiritual. Yes, there is a supernatural component to how God has designed each of us to be used in ministering to and building up the body, but much of what God intends to do through us is right before our eyes. And I want tonight now, in the time we have left, to really take a look at something that God just opened my eyes to that will move spiritual gifts out of this nebulous range and into real simple, hey, I can do that. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Yes, I'll show you. You're about to see that God has actually been shaping you over your life and through your life for exactly what he wants to do through you. It's been tied to a lot of the things that you've been through in your life. You didn't see the good in it or how God could ever use it. But I want you to see that much of what you have been through and are going through is tied to what God wants to do through you in the body. Don't think spiritual gift is something that I'm going to get now that I've never had before. You're about to find from Scripture that what God wants to do through you, He has actually been working in your life already through your experiences and through what you have been through and are going through. And that's tied to how He wants to use you in the body. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7. through Paul says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This whole section can be summed up just in those first two verses, verses three and four. Listen to what, again to verses three and four. It sums up the whole section. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, what God has walked you through and the way that he's healed you and helped you through that, you now are able to share what God has shown you and done in your life with others in the body who are going through similar things. Back when I was pastor at the last church, when a lady came up and said, Pastor, I've got breast cancer, I'd send them to a lady named Pat. Because she had already come to me and she said, and we all knew that she had been through it. She'd been through breast cancer, the reconstruction, all that stuff. And she had, God had been walking her through it. And she said, you know, any ladies that have that, send them to me. 
And I was glad because, you know, you come and you cry on my shoulder and say, I got breast cancer. I'm like, yeah. I had a lady ask me to lay hands on her one time. And I was like, no, you know, because she had breast cancer and she wanted me to touch the area that was that needed healing. And I was like, ah. and plus, as I shared with you last time we were together, you come and share with me your concerns and your struggles. And I'm sitting there going, what do I say? What do I do? What do I say? What do I do? I don't know. But you know what? I love the fact that I would say, go see Pat. I give them the number and they go meet with her and they talk and they and these ladies were ministered to by the body through someone who had been through it as well. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but that is why my ministry is what it is. I have come to realize now, as I look back over my life and all that I've been through, my heart is for the church. My heart is for pastors. My heart is for those who are in ministry. I want to see the church get released from legalism. I want to see the church move into receiving this grace that we've been wonderfully given. I want to see the church come alive to understand who God really is. So they don't have to work at loving them. It just happens. Well, you know what? That's been my journey. That's been the struggle that I've been through. That's been the point where God got me to the point, like I shared before, where I said, if this is all there is to the Christian life, kill me. And he began the joy of the journey of moving me to understand these truths. And along that line, I now see why he's put in my heart what he's put in my heart. I don't want to see you struggle like I did. I don't want to. But I can share with you what God's done in my life. And as it has comforted me, I can comfort you. What have you been through? Some of you are ashamed of your past, shamed of some of the things that you've gone through, the struggles you've had. But let me just show you something. Go with me to Luke 22. I'd never seen this this way. Luke 22. Look at verses 31 and 32. Look closely what Jesus says to Peter here. It's a real famous passage, but I want to see an aspect of this that I've never jumped out before like it has now. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan is demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter quickly jumps into I don't need prayer, all this other stuff. Let's not let's not let's not miss that. Just ignore that for now. Look at what Jesus said. He said, Peter, Satan wants to work you over. And he can't do anything to you unless I give him permission. But I lit him. And I've set the parameters. I've set the limits of what he can do. His purpose is to show that you're a phony. I know you're not. But he wants to sift you as wheat. Remember when you sifted wheat, you blew away the chaff. And what was real stayed. If it was chaff, it blew away. Satan says he's not for real. He wants to pro- prove that you're chaff. I know you're not, but you're going to look like a phony for a little while. But when you have turned back to me, I'm going to use you to do what? Strengthen the brothers. Now, again, you got to stick with me here because we hear brothers and we automatically assume the church. I'm going to show you something that God started to unlock for me along this line. Go with me to Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, look at verses 7 through 8. Paul says, On the contrary, when they, this is the church in Jerusalem, saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the 
circumcised. By the way, by the way, when did God set Paul apart as a preacher to the Gentiles? Yeah. If you go back and look and look uh, look at verse eleven of chapter one. Paul said, I want to have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel, for I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so that extreme, extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the who? He had set, wait a minute, doesn't that sound like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? You're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Folks, we're missing out on the joy of just being used of God however he wants to use you because we think spiritual gifts are this nebulous spiritual thing. No, listen, the stuff that you've been through is all a part of it. And you're going to see this now. Paul says, look, it became clear to them that I had been set apart by God to preach to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles. And Peter had been set apart by God to preach to the Jews. Now, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. It confused me for a long time because in my mind... You know, if I were God, I would have had Paul preach to the Jews. Wouldn't you? I mean, come on. That's the guy we would have picked. By the way, that's why principle number four says there's no volunteers, only the called. And that you'll get it in your book. But God has already chosen who he wants to do what. And there's a big reason why. Listen. I thought Paul would have been the best one to preach to the Jews because, I mean, come on. If there was anybody that could talk to the Jews, it would be the Jew of Jews. It would have been the guy who was the most zealous. It would have been the guy who had been taught by Gamaliel. It would have been the guy who knew the scriptures by heart and had the Old Testament memorized. It would have been the guy who could have easily said, look, I know, but I saw him. And look now, there are over 300 Old Testament prophecies, and he fulfills them all. If there was anybody that could preach to the Jews and say, look, Look at what it says. It points to Jesus. It would have been Paul. And I thought, Paul, why? God, why are you having to preach to the Gentiles? We're wasting this. What was the responsibility of the Jews? Go ahead. The oracles of God to share with the world. That's true. So why not take Paul Exactly. There? And here's why. Never a, a prophet in our own home. Well, that's a part of it. It's true. Is we're not a prophet in our own town. But I'll listen to this. Thank God that he chose Paul to preach to the Gentiles. Here's why. Because as you look through the New Testament, you'll see even in the beginning part of the church, there was trying to be this schism between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Because the Jewish believers were still trying to tie some Judaism into the faith in Christ. But he took the Jew of the Jews to preach to the Gentiles and say, you're only saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. No works at all. Man, I thank God that he used the Jew of the Jews to preach to the Gentiles. Because, you know, if a Gentile was preaching to the Gentiles, there would have been two different churches. But now I see his wisdom. Oh, but it gets better. You know who's the best person to preach to the Jews who rejected Jesus? The one who rejected Jesus. You see, Peter can go back to these same people and say, I know you rejected him. I know you denied that he was the Messiah. I did too. Oh, you didn't even know the things I knew. I got to eat with him. I smelled his breath. 
I walked with him for three years. I saw him walk on water. I saw him raise the dead. I saw him do all this stuff. And when the time came, push to shove, when it came that time, I acted like I didn't know him. And he told me ahead of time that I was going to do it, and he forgave me anyway. And then after he rose from the dead, he sought me out. He sent the women after me. He came looking for me. He loves me. He's forgiven me. Jews, you did what I did. You didn't even do it half as bad as I did. And oh, by the way, he, just like he knew I was going to do it, he had been telling us all along that you were going to do it too. And he knew. Oh, you know what Peter's ministry was? It was to take what God had walked him through so that he could share that comfort with others. Folks, some of you come out of alcoholism. Don't be surprised if God doesn't put on your heart to help others with that same struggle that he's walked you through. Some of you have been through physical and sexual abuse that you're ashamed of. But you know what? There's others that God can use you to minister to those. Here's part of the other problem as well. We have tried to then turn our ministries into a ministry and make a 501c3 and all this kind of stuff. Folks, forget what you're going to do and how big it's going to get. Just say, God, I want to share what you've done in my life with somebody else. Show me how I can help build up the body. If God chooses to make it into something bigger, let him. Don't set out to make it big. And I'll show you why. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verses 4 through 7. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. We understand that, right? You know, there's many, we don't all have the same gifts. We don't have the same calling of God, spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit determines what that is, correct? Now, now I'm going this way for a reason, because we're about to break this down into real detail, and you need to kind of look at each section in the same way, and it'll help you. You hopefully don't walk around and say, Sue, I think your spiritual gift ought to be, because we know that's not determined by us, that's determined by the Holy Spirit, right? There's different kinds of gifts. It's not my call to determine what Sue's gifts ought to be. That's the Holy Spirit's call, right? Stick with me. What does the next part of the verse say? There are also varieties of service, but the same Lord. In other words, not only does the Holy Spirit determine what our gifts are, the Lord Jesus determines where we're to use those gifts. But tell me we haven't taken the role of Jesus. We know it's the Holy Spirit determines what people's gifts are. We don't try to say, I think your gifts ought to be, because that's the Spirit's job. But the same passage that said the Spirit determines the gifts also says the Lord Jesus determines where we're to use the gifts. But haven't we, over the years, had so many people come and say, you ought to be serving here, or you ought to be serving there. The preacher said, you all should have been at visitation on Tuesday night. You all should have been at prayer meeting. You all should have been at church work day. You all should have been, and we have been, the nominating committee, and overzealous pastors who don't understand the work of the Lord. Let me give you a quick example. I might have shared this with you before, but let me just use it to illustrate it again. Jesus himself said, the fields are right under harvest and the laborers are few, right? We heard the preacher then say, since the laborers are few, we need more workers in the harvest field, right? The laborers are few. We need more workers. Who's going to sign up to go work in the field? But we didn't look at what Jesus said. He didn't say that. 
Jesus didn't say the fields are white under harvest and the laborers are few. We need more workers. No, no, listen to what Jesus said. He said, the fields are white under harvest and the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his field. Did you catch that? Jesus has been teaching us all along. And in about your effort, you need to work harder. You need to be more faithful. You need to be more committed. All that stuff that we've been taught was never in the scriptures. It was all along. What does God want you to do? You need to be doing it. We need more workers in the harvest field. But it's not up to us to tell you to go do it. Whose job is to determine where you serve? Oh, look closely. Yes, it's God. But what part of the, of the Godhead? The Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit determines your gifts. The Lord Jesus determines where. Remember, Paul and Peter had similar gift mix. But Paul had been told by the Lord to go to the Gentiles. Peter had been told to go to the Jews. Folks, let me just tell you. That's why when I deal with pastors, I a lot of times will say to them, look, this doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. But if you had to design what you did in ministry, what would it be? And I say, don't let the church shape it. Don't let the personnel committee write your job description. If you were to serve the Lord however you would like to, what would your ministry look like? And they always have a tendency to just give me a basic, well, I'd like to preach and teach the word, or I'd like to shepherd, or I'd like to whatever. I just say, no, no, no. Who? What are the specifics that God's put in your heart? Do you want to teach youth? Do you want to teach children? Do you want to teach adults? Do you want to teach lost people? Do you want to teach people that are addicts? Do you want to teach people that are older Christians? What are, what are the specifics that he's put in your heart? And they start to light up when, like, I get to have, God's put that in there too. He's put that in there too. So the Holy Spirit determines what your gifts are. The Lord Jesus determines where you're to use your gifts and with who. That's not determined by us. That's determined by the Lord. And look, this is the most important part here. And we've missed this because the translations have a little struggle with this word. And verse 6 says, and there are varieties of activities. Some translations, I like this, say results or effects. I like that. It's the results. It's what comes out of it. Correct. Who determines the effects or the results of our ministry? What, according to this passage, God the Father. I don't know if you noticed it or not. The Trinity is right there. Yep. Holy Spirit determines what your gifts are. The Lord Jesus determines where you to use those gifts and with who. And God the Father determines the effects or the results. This is important. Because many of us, we try to run ahead of God. We feel a call to ministry. And we want a big ministry. We want a big result. I mean, if we're going to do this, let's do it right, right? You'll find this in your book as well. When you get to principle number seven, that we're to focus on what he said to do, not the results. Because the results are totally determined by God and not by us. In Isaiah chapter 6, when God says, whom will I send, who will go for me? And by the way, he wasn't volunteering because he was the only one in the room. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And I ask most preachers this question. I'll ask you the same question. Well, does anybody know what the next verse says? After Isaiah says, here am I, send me. We've always stopped there because that's where the preacher stopped preaching. And he used that verse to say we need to all sign up. God says, let me paraphrase it for you. The very next verse. God says, oh, by the way, Isaiah, you're going to be ever preaching and they won't listen. You're going to be ever speaking, and they won't hear. And Isaiah's answer is so cool. It's just like you and me. He goes, how long? <laughs> how long, O oh Lord? And God says pretty much for a long, long time until there's the nations wiped out. How many of you would sign up? How many of you have quit 
working where God has put on your heart to work because you didn't see any results. Remember, Paul says one plants, another waters. Who determines whether or not it grows? God. God. Oh, personally, I would love to see this in the hand of every Christian in America. But you know what? I'm not going to try to make that happen. I've just done what he's asked me to do. I've dragged my feet in the process. You'll read about that in the book. But at the same time, whatever God wants to do with this book, God will do with this book. I have been faithful to do what he's asked me to do, and I leave the results to him. And folks, let me just tell you, that is so freeing. That is so freeing. Did you do what he asked you to do? Yeah, then that's enough. Oh, trust me, I've struggled. A couple of the churches I pastored after I left, things didn't go so well. And then you know, as a human, you want to start thinking, well, maybe I didn't. Maybe I, and I had a godly old man who called me up one day. Some of you know Jack Green. Jack Green called me up and he said, he says, he says, <laughs> he called me Padna. He says, Padna, did you do what God asked you to do when you were there? Yes, sir, I did. He said, then you're fine. Relax. He said, Paul, half the churches Paul started, he had to write back and say, stop getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Stop sleeping with your father's wife. He says, just because things fell apart after you left doesn't mean you, did, you didn't do right. You just do what he tells you to do. And so, folks, you want to be able to enjoy your walk with the Lord? Take your eyes off of whether or not it's a big ministry or little ministry. And just do what it is he's put in your heart. What has he walked you through? Start there. Start there. Some of you say, I just love children. That's a part of what he has to do. Let him show you the rest of it, how it all plays out. Some of you say, I don't like people, but I'm pretty good with things and I'm pretty good with fixing stuff. Well, guess what? Exodus chapter 31 says that when he built the temple and had Moses built the temple, he said, oh, by the way, I've chosen Bezalel and Aholiab and I've crafted or gifted them with craftsmanship to be able to build these articles. And they're the ones I want doing it. Some of you say, look, I'm a paper person. I got people in, that help my ministry that that's their thing. They're behind the scenes and they just, folks, I haven't had to worry about paying a bill. I didn't even have to worry about the, my not-for-profit status and all the paperwork and the year that took us to take care of the government stuff and all that stuff. I've had other people come and say, could you help me get my ministry started? And I'd say, I don't even know how this one got started. <laughs> there are people that are gifted to do what it is they're gifted to do. And as you do what it is, God will build up the body. as we're going to move deeper in our study next week, begin to pray for God to show you how you can encourage and build up someone in the body of Christ. But again, size-wise, go back to Ephesians 4. We're going to wrap up with this. Size-wise, your part may seem small. It may seem insignificant. But read again how it all ties together. Verse uh, 12, he gives these four different types of guys to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Does that sound like it's going to happen tomorrow? No, this is going to be a process, folks. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, look closely at what we just saw there. 
In order for the body to work properly, where does each part have to be connected? To the head. You want to begin this journey of being used of God and you move to mature manhood or womanhood? Take your eyes off of the people around you. They may or may not be doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's not your worry. You go closer to Jesus. And you just let him use you however he wants. And he places us in the body as he sees fit. And he moves us around sometimes. And he puts you in this body for a little while. And then he moves you to that body. That's okay. It's all part of how God is working to equip you and to bless the body. And we've, over the years, we've focused on everything through man's eyes. We want a pastor that's going to commit to being here for a long time. You ever heard that? We had a couple that left and we don't want that anymore. We want, yeah, okay, you're God. So then people say, if you're going to be committed to this church, you need to commit and you need to stay. Isn't that, isn't that what we heard? Who determines where you go and what you do? The Lord Jesus. We half the time are so busy worried about what everybody else should be doing. We haven't even been paying attention to what he's been telling me and been telling you. So, folks, as we move into where we're going in the next couple of weeks in this passage, if we start breaking this down some more, start here. God, what is the journey you've walked me through? What have you already shown me in my walk with you? Help me to see where it is that you could use me to bless others with what, the ways you've blessed me. Go ahead. Well, even the thief on the cross, he didn't have time to do anything. He sure didn't. He looked at Jesus, focused on him, but he was used by Jesus. Look at the comfort the thief on the cross gives a lot of us. We don't have any time left, but we can be used by it. it see, and that, boy, Bill, you make me want to just, we're running out of time, but man, I want to run with that. Do you hear what Bill just said? The thief on the cross, if you were to ask him, what did God use? I didn't do anything. Oh, son, think of all the people, the millions that have received the comfort from the fact that the thief on the cross would be given forgiveness right at the last minute of his death. Oh, and he's probably sitting around thinking, I didn't do anything. Oh, not anymore. He's not. That's for sure. But you understand what I'm saying? Folks, don't worry about the results. If you can see it or don't see it, don't worry about it. Just let God love people through you. Oh, we just we have again. I'll wrap up with this. I remember I was dealing with a, a family in Chicago. God laid it on their heart. To bless a young single mom with some groceries. She was in the church there in Chicago and uh, they, this family just had a heart just to bless and buy groceries for this single mom and her kids. And they went to the store and they spent 150 bucks. This is back when 150 bucks was a lot of groceries. <laughs> and they showed up at this young lady's house and they just showed up and just brought her the groceries because God told them to. And the reaction of the mom and the kids was just overwhelming as the mom wept and the kids were jumping around and God blessed that lady through them. And unfortunately, they on the way home started thinking how they could do a better job if we started a food ministry. And next thing you know, it turned into, well, where are we going to get the shelves and who's going to staff it? And we can't get enough people to work it and all this kind of stuff. And it became a burden. God didn't tell him to start a food ministry. He just told him to go buy groceries for this lady. But what we do is, is we think, boy, that was cool. If we get together, we can get some momentum. We can get this. We can. 
that's where we get ourselves off. We give the glory to God and just do what he asked you to do. If it turns into something more, he did it. Just do what it is he's asked you to do. Don't try to design a ministry. Just minister. One step at a time. One step at a time. Let me pray for us. Father, again, I thank you for the fact that as we wrapped up here, Bill brought out such an awesome, awesome point. We get too caught up in seeing whether or not you're using us. Forgive us for that. This passage that we've all agreed that you determine the gifts, the Holy Spirit determines what the gifts are, also said that the Lord Jesus determines where, and the Father determines what the results are and the effects are. Lord, help us to let this truth sink in and just rest in this truth. And Lord, may we not see ministry as this big thing that we're too big for us. May we just see it as being used to you to help somebody else in the way that you've helped us. Lord, put people together, not just in this room, but also across the churches, within the aisles of our churches. Lord, just may we take our eyes off of the different committees and what they're supposed to be doing and just put it back on you, Jesus, and live the life you have for us. And in time, we'll move into mature manhood. In time, we'll experience more and more of the fullness of Christ. And one day, I think for eternity, we'll get to experience and see all that you did that we had no idea. Father, may we not quit. May what you prayed for Peter be what we hear you pray for us. That when you prayed for Peter, you said, my prayer is that you won't quit. When you come back, I'm gonna use what you've been through to strengthen the brothers. And then the brothers we come to realize were the Jews who hadn't received you yet. Father, Thank you again for your patience with us. Thank you for the way that you've taught us tonight and look forward to being again together next week. In your name we pray, amen.